0: And that, my friends, is how America was made great once again. Breaking at this hour, Jimmy Singenberger is currently at the crossroads of politics and economics. Radio broadcaster master, now the celeb on the web. He's the smarty of the party. He's in cahoots with the grassroots. Jimmy at the crossroads brings you thought-provoking commentary, hard-hitting interviews, original satire, and the best bumper music known to man. Jimmy at the crossroads!
1: Gonna talk money, gonna talk politics, grateful all generations, oh what a great mix, I said. Gonna talk money, gonna talk politics, grateful all generations, oh what a great mix. I got Jimmy and the Grossos, making sense out of nonsense. people want answers they want to understand they come to the crossroads and jimmy gives them the plan i said gonna talk money going to talk politics Pray for all generations oh what a great mix i got jimmy at the crossroads making sense out of nonsense come on jimmy what you got Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition
2: of Jimmy at the Crossroads. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, your host for the program, once again bringing you engaging, intelligent talk, sang style, in partnership with the Washington Examiner. Such a pleasure and a privilege to be with you once again today. Thanks for joining us. Please, if you want to be a part of the program, happy to have you along for the ride. You can tweet at me 24/7, 365. You see it right there at Sang Center. That's Sang with an E, not an A. Center on Twitter. You can also email me on my website, JimmySangenberger.com. Remember, there's no A, there's no I, there's no U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. And once you know that, Sangenberger is. Easy. You can also log on to jimmyatthecrossroads.com at the where we post all the podcasts, we post commentaries I've written and more. Some exciting stuff coming later this week to Jimmy at the Crossroads, hopefully by tomorrow. Jimmy at the Do not miss it. Plus, be sure to subscribe if you have not done so already to the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Jimmy at the Crossroads. Jimmy at the Crossroads on YouTube. Also, like us on Facebook, Jimmy Sangenberger Media Personality. Facebook.com slash Jimmy Sangenberger Pro. So lots of ways to get in touch, lots of ways to follow along. And, of course, keep tabs on our friends at the Washington Examiner. Like them on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also, of course, follow and bookmark WashingtonExaminer.com. Tomorrow will be Washington Examiner Wednesday. Don't miss that. Coming up in the next segment, we will have an extensive conversation with two stock market gurus, two of our go-tos. Krista Huff, Chief Analyst at Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor, as well as Woody Vincent, veteran stock trader for more than 30 years. Looking forward to talking with them about what's happening with the stock market, some of the positivity that we're seeing as a result in part of the positive jobs numbers, but also some of the other economic data that we are now getting in. We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. First today, I want to talk about the First Amendment double standard. Let's go back, back just a matter of what, three weeks? Three weeks ago? When President Trump insisted that states should allow their people to go back to church, that you should be able to reopen churches and make a point of it. And the media was all upset, all in a tizzy about whether or not they were they were advancing proper social distancing guidelines or rushing things too fast, more erring on the side of the latter moving forward too quickly. In cut three, here is Kayleigh McEnany, White House Press Secretary, interacting with the press about that very topic and see how they press her on that, how they push.
3: He wants to see all of those churches open in a safe fashion. The
2: governor does not allow that. Does the White House support churches defying these executive
3: orders? The president's been very clear. He wants to see churches reopen in accordance with his guidelines. So the answer is yes. I just gave you an answer. And the president the would like churches to reopen asked, and do it in accordance with the guidelines. What specific
0: provision of federal law allows the president to override a governor?
2: The president decision.
3: will strongly encourage every governor to allow their churches to reopen. And boy, it's interesting to be in a room that desperately wants to seem to see these churches and houses of worship. Stay Close. The president said yes. that he has that. Yes. Hey, I
4: object to that. I mean, I go to church. I'm dying to go back to church. The question that we're
2: asking you, and would like to have asked the president and Dr. Burks, is: Is it safe? And if it's not safe, is the president trying to encourage that, or does the president agree with Dr.
3: Burks that people should wait? Jeff, it is safe to reopen your churches if you do so in accordance with the guidelines, which are laid out. Um, very stringent detail here about promoting hygiene practices, and there are five bullet points, and cloth face coverings. Um, If social distancing is not possible, it's recommended. Um, Intensifying cleanings, promoting social distance, we lay them out meticulously. Um, So I am thankful that we have a president that celebrates the First Amendment, the same amendment that gives you all the ability to ask me questions, is there to have the freedom of worship so imams and pastors um, can Go to their churches can go to their places of worship and can celebrate what is a first amendment right in this country which is to pray to your god and to practice your faith and we so celebrate now,
2: that too i just want to follow up by saying we celebrate
3: that too and Certainly so we should be thankful that there are guidelines to allow not, us to re-engage asking, in that behavior we're not asking you if, if the president or people are allowing americans to pray that, that's not to gather in their places of worship to attend church services to pray together and the president has laid out a clear path
2: She's so right about to pray, by the way. It's not just about praying and being in your own home. It's about gathering together. Otherwise, no American should object when other countries under totalitarian rule prevent people from gathering in churches, like China. But I digress on that point. The only quibble I have with Kaylee McEnany three weeks ago, boy, does three weeks ago, Seem like a lifetime ago, or what? But Kaylee McEnany, when she said the First Amendment gives us these rights, no, she was right before the First Amendment protects the rights of freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion. Those are three of the five rights of the First Amendment that are protected, guaranteed by the Constitution. But you listen to the media. And the way in which they were posing the question, especially, uh, his name escapes me, the last guy, asking, is it safe? This is the real question. Is it safe? And she says, yes, if it's done in accordance with the guidelines. When we had the protesters gathering at state capitals across the country over three, four weeks, arguing that... That the, the, the people, that's not these particular protests that you're seeing on the screen, but the, the protests of the government shutdowns that we saw for three or four weeks, when that was happening, when those protests were happening, the left was saying, How dare you? That's not safe. You should not be gathering outside the Capitol for that. But. Right now, nobody in the mainstream media is batting an eye, batting an eye at all at the gathering, mass gatherings of, and let's put them up now, these peaceful protesters rallying together to say what happened to George Floyd was wrong, was murder, and we need change. And in some cases, to say some more extreme things, like let's defund or dismantle police departments. Let's disband the police. Now, I'm not saying that the media should be critical of those protests in that regard. I don't think they should have criticized those gathering together to protest their lives being forcibly put on hold by state governments and municipal governments across the country. They shouldn't have been griping about that in the first place. Or pressing so hard, Kaylee McEnany, about President Trump and his desire for people to go back to churches. But alas, that was three weeks ago. Now, we are dealing with mass uprisings over an issue that the left deems important. I'm not saying that a lot of what the left has identified here isn't important. There are absolutely issues with police that need to be addressed. We especially talked about that in one of my monologues last week. What happened to George Floyd was absolutely, unquestionably, an unjust murder. And all four officers must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, as I have said from the beginning but that does not mean that this particular rallying cry is somehow more justified, more appropriate, more righteous than people who have been told your lives must be put on the line or put aside, your businesses may be lost because of government restriction policies and your rights must be suppressed by the government. Your fundamental rights to assemble and to speak. Those have been under attack for weeks in America. And only now is the media saying for this group, it's okay for you to protest. In fact, there are physicians, there's a medical organization that literally has said that because systemic racism is a massive issue, in America. It's like an epidemic of its own. Those protests are okay, and they're not going to be raising the alarm about social distancing, or lack thereof, and the spread of coronavirus at these protests. They're not crying about that specifically because they like the agenda of these particular protesters. You can't judge science and whether or not you should have a particular restriction based on the message being presented. That is the height of double standard. And Kaylee McEnany in Cut 2 yesterday called attention a little bit to this using an opportunity in exchange with Fox News's John Roberts.
3: SO I WOULD NOTE THIS FIRST um, MY DR. BURKE SENT ME SOME NEW INFORMATION BEFORE COMING OUT HERE THAT NEW CASES HAVE STABILIZED AND MANY OF THE NEW CASES are being identified through proactive monitoring and finding asymptomatic cases. Uh, today, we saw the lowest new mortality report since the end of March, less than 500, um, and testing continues to expand with over 20 million done and more than 6% of Americans being tested, and in seven states, nearly 10% of the population. So we are heading in a positive direction, even as we begin to safely reopen.
1: But again, has the President seen anything that causes him concern?
3: I would note, again, the encouraging signs put forward by Dr. Birx. Um He's seen the country safely reopen. And I would also just note some of the media contradictions here, certainly not referring to you specifically, John, but just a little more broadly, um, that there isn't um, an outcry about social distancing among the protests. And I mean, I saw one network with footage of the Ozarks and um, complaining about social distancing in the Ozarks, and then seamlessly transitioning into protest footage and not suggesting that there was a problem with the lack of social distancing. So I think we have to be very consistent.
2: So that was Kaylee McEnany taking, rightfully taking advantage of that opportunity to say, I don't see the media, I don't see politicians talking about social distancing vis-a-vis these protests. They haven't from the start. This is the same Kaylee McEnany at the very same kind of press briefing, who just three weeks ago, let's just see a snippet again of this exchange with the reporter. I think he's a Reuters reporter. This is the exact same person and just three weeks ago being pressed about going back to church. Go
5: to church. I'm dying to go back to church. The question that we're asking you and would
2: like to have asked the president and Dr. Burks is, is it safe? and if it's not safe is the president trying to encourage that or does the president agree with dr burks
3: that people should wait
2: jeff so, safe. so should people wait to protest a little bit longer it was only three weeks ago one week later people were protesting about what happened to george floyd again rightfully so for the peaceful protesters the point here is to say the double standard is clear public health researchers from the university of washington were the ones who circulated a letter that, according to the Wall Street Journal, received 1,300 signatures from healthcare providers, epidemiologists, medical students across the country seeking to justify the differential, the difference between you shouldn't go rally together for this in public, you shouldn't go to church, versus these protests or memorials for George Floyd. On April 30th, Heavily armed and predominantly white protesters entered the state capitol building in Lansing, Michigan, protesting stay at home orders and calls for widespread public masking to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Infectious disease physicians and public health officials publicly condemned these actions and privately mourned the widening rift between leaders in science and a subset of the communities they serve. As of May 30th, we are witnessing continuing demonstrations in response to ongoing pervasive and lethal institutional racism set off by the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor among many other black lives taken by police, they continue. However, as public health advocates, we do not condemn these gatherings as risky for COVID-19 transmission because, quote, white supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates and contributes to COVID-19. Read between the lines. We think this is an important issue of value. Therefore, it's okay to do it. We're not worried. If you dare to go against the mold of what is the orthodoxy today amidst these protests and riots, you might get fired as well. Now, this isn't a First Amendment issue because... Newspapers like the New York Times and Philadelphia Inquirer have every right to hire and fire whoever they want for whatever reason they want. Doesn't mean it's justified, doesn't mean it's right, but they can. The opinion editors, excuse me, the full editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer was fired over the past week, as was the opinion editor of the New York Times for articles published in their publications that more than anything. Disagreed with the prevailing notions of how you should think about and approach the issues of the day vis a vis the protests, the riots, policing, systemic racism, that idea, and more. Then let's go to cut four. There's this growing movement to defund, dismantle, disband police departments across the country. And there is now majority support, I think it's nine to three, at least nine of the Minneapolis City Council members are on board with defunding and dismantling their police department. That's going to take time, not going to be a quick move. Maybe they'll do what a couple of other police departments did in the past after being dissolved, which was become essentially subsumed under a county sheriff's office or something. But here's how she expressed her views in this regard. This is the City Council President for Minneapolis.
5: Do you understand that the word dismantle or police free also makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night, my home is broken into? Who do I call?
4: Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege. I know that that comes from a place of privilege. I know that that comes from a place of privilege. I know, that that place of privilege. I know that that comes from a place of privilege because For those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so in the very immediate, we have to lean into whatever changes we can make in our existing police department. You know, I think we look to cities like Camden, New Jersey that completely restructured their department as we build up systems. And we've already done that. We we are not starting from scratch. We have invested in community-based safety strategies. We have knowledge in our community across the city. We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls, um, for some domestic violence calls, for um, health-related issues. And so the groundwork is laid already in Minneapolis for us to, to build on that to learn from folks around the world, but really also to listen to our community and put those community voices front and center as we build up those systems even further. Now, I will say this. I
2: agree with her that there are a lot of things that could be done differently to address different circumstances. That's entirely merited. Some of what she said there is definitely worthy of being considered and implemented in terms of reforms. I'm entirely on board with engaging in that conversation. However, how she began that question was by saying, okay, if you are worried about your safety and you want to call the police and you're asking, what am I going to do to protect myself? Who do I call? That comes from a place of privilege, particularly because the individual presumably, like the anchor on the show, Allison Camarada is white. And therefore, coming from a position of white privilege where police tend to be, the argument goes, better treating of you, you have privilege. So you need to be first thinking, oh, this comes from a place of privilege. But then later on, later on in her answer, she says, we need to listen to the community members. But didn't earlier in the beginning of that answer? The Minneapolis city council president, didn't she say that comes from a place of privilege and essentially dismiss the complaint? Isn't she dismissing the interests or the desires of particular groups within the community? And then there's also the narrowly tailored objectives of some of these protesters who don't seem to be interested fully in genuine reforms that are meaningful and practical, but simply about the radical steps like defunding police. The mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, went before a crowd of these protesters, not literally on bended knee here, but he might as well have been. And while he was there trying to be conciliatory and to listen and, and pay his respects to the cause, he ended up getting booed. Take a listen to this. You have to take responsibility here. I've been coming to grips with my own brokenness in this situation, my own failures, my
3: own shortcomings, and I know there needs to be deep-seated structural reform in terms of how the department operates. The
2: systemic, racist system needs to be revamped. The police union... To be put in its place. Okay. We need to make
4: sure that everything from the union contract to the way that the arbitration functions, to the way that our officers and the culture and the, the department behaves, is altered. Jacob, I'm
2: not supporting vote abolition.
0: All, All right. right, get the f- go, 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 get out of here. go, 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 home! go, 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 Go home, jacob. Go home. so that
2: is an example of some particularly leaders of some of these protests basically saying you must go to the extreme or else you need to go home he said he doesn't support abolishing the police department and they yelled at him go home jacob go home that's the kind of intolerance that we're getting when we're told This perspective is worthy of mass protests where you don't have any regard for social distancing. This perspective is worthy of shouting down the mayor and sending him home if he doesn't agree. This perspective is worthy of firing longtime editors of publications who may have brought Pulitzers to that publication because they said the wrong thing or allowed the wrong article to get published. What, what, where are we at as a society where you must agree full stop with one view? And you can't have a more complex view. I'm running late here, but I do want to play one more clip real quick. This is Attorney General William Barr. Let's drop it in, Nathan Matouche. Cut seven. With Margaret Brennan of... Face the Nation, who I think, I think does a, a fantastic job, actually. I think she does a, a really good job. Take a listen to a little bit of this, this exchange.
0: You know, policing is the toughest job in the country, and I and I frankly think that we have, generally, uh, the vast overwhelming majority of police are good people. They're c- civic-minded people who believe in serving the public. They do so bravely. They do so righteously. But and the bad cops. I, th- I think that there are instances of bad cops, and I think we have to be careful about automatically assuming that the actions of an individual necessarily mean that their organization is rotten, or. All organizations have people who engage in misconduct and you sometimes have to be careful as to when you ascribe that to the whole organization and when it really is some errant member who isn't following the rules.
3: But doesn't the opening the pattern of practice investigation to a place like Minneapolis where there are questions about the broader issues with policing, it wasn't just the one officer? Wouldn't that answer that question?
0: Well, that's exactly the reaction that I think has been a problem in the past, uh, which is it just, it, you know, again, just reacting to this incident by immediately putting the department under investigation doesn't necessarily result in, 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 in improving the situation. But I would say that in the first instance, the governor has announced an investigation of the police department.
2: So, just a couple quick thoughts before we head to a break here. First of all, Overall I think Bill Barr is doing a tremendous job. I think he's a very honorable guy. And I also think that Margaret Brennan as far as mainstream anchors and reporters go is top of the business. Like she does it she genuinely does. I think a really good, very fair job and strives for that fairness. But Bill Barr I think well he's right that we shouldn't label all police departments in one way because of some bad apples, we also do have to recognize something. And this is where I'm going to give some credit to the protesters, peaceful protesters, who've identified this, which is that there is a blue shield. There is a culture of protection specifically for police officers, especially from the union. That's one think Jacob Fry mentioned, the mayor of Minneapolis as well, is the union's role. The police union is a big part of the problem protecting, shall we say, dirty cops or cops accused of improprieties. And I do think that we need to recognize that these police departments may have a cultural problem going on. In many cases, they do. That does not mean that we should just brand all of them, brand all the police officers, say it's this way or that way no matter what. But it does mean that we should be open to exploring police departments and that there are issues. If there's an issue and it seems to be covered up, Minneapolis, there seems to have been issues for a long time, then we will address it. We will address the overall department and those issues involved. So I think we need to take a nuanced view, a more in-depth and substantive view, but we also need to Exclude those double standards. This is nonsense what's happening in our society. If you go along with the orthodoxy, you're okay. Social distancing be damned. If not, well then you should probably just stay at home. We need to really think long and hard about where we go as a people from here. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're watching Jimmy at the Crossroads in partnership with the Washington Examiner. In just a few moments, we will be joined by stock market gurus Woody Vincent and Krista Huff. Keep it right here. It's Jimmy at the Crossroads. Once again, I'm Jimmy Sangenberger.
0: And folks, let's get you back to the host of Jimmy at the Crossroads, Jimmy
2: Sangenberger. All right, we're going to do this one at a time. Welcome back. Jimmy at the Crossroads, coming to you once again in partnership with the Washington Examiner. Occasionally, the gremlins get in there, couldn't figure out the Skype issues. Everything was working fine earlier. That's what happens sometimes. So, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to be joined first by Krista Huff, Chief Analyst at Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor, And then afterward, we'll have Woody Vincent, veteran stock trader for the past 30-plus years, joining us here on the program. We'll get their thoughts on the markets. But first, justice friends, superheroes have to look their best. Do you remember a superhero who wasn't well-groomed? I do. It was Chubby Thor. Odin's son was not representing and nobody was scruffy man enough to point it out. Don't do that to your superhero dad. With great grooming comes great responsibility. After dad leaves his fortress of solitude, (laughs) the bathroom, he wants to come out of his dad cave having transformed from shaggy man to scruffy man. Scruffy man is your source for dad's grooming power. Groomers assemble. The Beard Grooming Kit for Men. It's got everything you need for daily grooming. The -the state-of-the-art MK2 Razor is made from the same aluminum as the UH UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter. You'll think Stark himself designed it for your Iron Man make sure your superhero dad is Scruffy Man. He'll look his best faster than a speeding razor, able to cut through jungles of hair in a single swipe. So log on to ScruffyMan.com today. You'll get free shipping on all orders over $49, and your gift will arrive quick as a flash in time for Father's Day. Use the promo code Jimmy and Shazam! You'll get an additional 20% off their Father's Day discounts. That's scruffyman.com and use the promo code Jimmy at checkout. All right. So pleased now to welcome back to Jimmy at the Crossroads, one of our two ever patient guests, Krista Huff, Chief Analyst at Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor, rejoins us on the program. Krista, welcome to the show. Hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. I want to jump right in. It is fascinating to see what's happening in the economy with the stock market. We're down a bit today in terms of the market overall, but uh, yesterday we hit record high for NASDAQ. and Some things are looking better now economically and stock market-wise. What's your overall sense for things, Krista?
5: Uh, Well, the stock market had a tremendous um, rebound from what might have been the biggest crash of my lifetime. So it doesn't make sense that the stock market should rebound um, completely in less than three months. Uh, The market's really frothy, which means it's way overbought and it's due for another decent sized pullback. So if anybody missed the current run up because they pulled their money out and they were afraid, don't worry, you're going to get another chance to buy low. So,
2: you think the market will decline once again?
5: It has to because that's what it does. It goes up and down and it well, ratchets, right? But Sometimes it ratchets new sideways. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I have uh, a ton of money on the sidelines waiting to buy low again, like I did last time. And that worked out really well. So, I'm going to do it again.
2: Now, in terms of these economic numbers, look, we. we still have some tremendous economic strife going on. There are still nearly 40 million Americans out of work, but we did see some encouraging signs on Friday in the jobs report in terms of 2.5 million Americans getting jobs once again, becoming employed as opposed to 8.3 million estimated, the forecast was, losing their jobs. So while that's not an indicator that the economy is suddenly roaring back, It at least may be a sign that maybe things have reached a sort of trough in terms of the job market and that things are finally starting to get back as we're reopening, which may be an encouraging sign. What do you make of it?
5: Um, I expected more people to go back to work, so I don't know you know, on what basis um, the economists expected another 8 million people to lose jobs. Basically all the people who were going to initially stop working because of the lockdowns, they were all figured into the numbers weeks and even months ago so then the next phase is that some of them go back to work as things slowly reopen and then in the next report some more people will have gone back to work Uh, the bigger problem is many of those people will not go back to work many of their businesses are permanently closed many others um, have seriously downsized And so we're gonna have a a chronic unemployment problem in the US that's gonna have a ripple effect throughout the entire economy, and that's the thing that I'm very worried about.
2: Yeah, well certainly, this is not something that is going to uh, come back the economy quickly, and it's just not not part of the equation. But while you may have expected that many, maybe even more jobs to come back in terms of workers getting back into the employment space, Uh, There were clearly a lot of people the economists who were not expecting that. I mean, we were thinking more than 8 million jobs lost in the month of May. So if you have that kind of expectations gap, I take that as at least an encouraging sign, even if it's not some sort of an indicator that the economy is going to be roaring back very quickly.
5: Right. So I, I think that many folks will go back to work slowly. Um, there are going to be income problems, not only from the folks who don't you know, recoup any jobs, but there are many um, industries where uh, people will have fewer customers now. Like if they had been serving hotels, for example, and if hotels have been shut down and then um, occupancy grows very slowly, all the folks, let's say you're a cleaning business or you're a food service business or you supply furniture to hotels, All of these different businesses are going to have less revenue going forward for quite a while and therefore they're going to have less income so that the owners are gonna have to take pay cuts they're gonna have to lay people off and that's what I talk about when I say there's a ripple effect from these lockdowns and from the chronic unemployment so it's very sad but you have to look at it realistically so that you can because forewarned is forearmed you know if you understand that businesses are going to suffer, then you look at your stock portfolio and you say, okay, well, I'm invested in this furniture company that just lost 40% of their business. So should I remain invested in that furniture company? So the, the more realistically you can look at the economy, the better you're going to do in your stock selection.
2: Once again, Krista Huff is our guest chief analyst at Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor, joining us here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Okay, so in terms of the stock market, I mean, yesterday the NASDAQ, which is very tech-heavy, hit record highs. We're also seeing the Dow and the S&P 500 doing better, noticeable improvements in that regard. Why do you think that is? Is it just people are looking at some of these... Data indicators and saying, "Hey, these are really positive, and so let's go, let's go higher and higher." Or is there something else here?
5: There's a lot of enthusiasm. There's fear of missing out, which is a big uh, piece of the bull market towards the end of any bull. Uh, any brief bullish up uh, run-up, so you've got all the folks who just watched the market go up in April and May and now they jump in because of fear of missing out. You've got economies opening back up, so that's encouraging bullishness, and, and there are a lot of people who think everything's just going to snap back to normal, and I don't know what planet they're living on, but those people are actually buying stocks as well. And then you've got oil prices rebounding because um, the business lockdowns are loosening up all over the world. Now, oil actually has a better chance of sustaining the recent price hike than the S&P does because the S&P, it's just all, I think, a lot of wishful thinking on the parts of investors. But with oil, uh, as businesses open up, they're using the oil. You know, In China, they're back to over 90% of uh, previous, um, oil usage and they bought like records amount record amounts of um, oil in May so some of this is very real and some of it is very frothy so I'm I'm very bullish on the oil stocks and I'm very cautious right now on US stocks although you know I'm certainly invested in them but I am t- let's just say every day I'm taking a little bit of more money off the table
2: uh, so in terms of the rising oil prices is this something that is uh, specifically because people are getting back to work is there more to it than that what's been going on sort of in the oil market space Krista?
5: all right so you've got um, businesses reopening and, and you know all the businesses are using energy products and then you have uh... the opec plus nations on saturday uh... decided to extend the um, production cuts for another month and as long as they're holding down uh... production that, stabilizes or encourages prices so people uh, are reacting well to that and the prices have been rising and then therefore the energy stocks have been rising and then in addition to that saudi arabia each month sets their uh price on uh you know the price they're going to sell oil and they were due to do that uh to raise that price possibly yesterday and the market was anticipating that and then um china has had a surprisingly strong um, uh, market on um, I- importing oil into China. So that's helping to support and push prices up. But the other thing, just for stock investors to know, is that the energy sector is the most volatile sector. I mean, you might think it's technology, but frankly, it's energy. And when um, Oil prices went down in April. They fell like they crashed. They fell dramatically, right? Well, on the flip side, when oil prices go up, they move really fast as well. So now they've you know doubled or tripled or whatnot since uh, their lows in April, and there's currently no sign of that stopping. They're still pretty bullish. So um, you know, if you wrote it down, I'm really sorry about that. But if you're writing it up now, congratulations.
2: Okay, so Christoph, when we look at the stock market and sort of the the dynamics that are at play now, what do you think people need to keep in mind strategically in terms of opportunities that may present themselves um, in the coming weeks? and even in the coming days and also from the perspective of things they might want to hold off on doing if you think that the market's going to be declining again then there may be certain steps that they might not want to take uh... in in terms of getting in on the action now they may want to keep stay on the sidelines with some of their cash a little bit longer it would seem
5: right if somebody has a bunch of uh, cash on the sidelines and they're not wildly experienced at trading i would just keep the cash on the sidelines and wait a couple weeks uh, it is almost guaranteed that the stock market is going to have a decent pullback. Um, that would be like the S and P 500 falling, you know, two or three or four hundred points. Um, you'll you'll know it when it's happening. And and if you're a little more experienced, um, there are places that you can invest right now. Energy stocks. Uh, their technology stocks are still doing really well. What you want to avoid for the rest of the year, it would be industries that have been greatly harmed from the lockdown, like theater and entertainment, restaurants, airlines, anywhere where people gather in groups. Uh, yes, uh, business is opening up again, but there are a hell of a lot of people who are afraid to gather in groups again. They're afraid to go to church. They're afraid to go out to eat. and So you're gonna have a much slower rebound on any of those industries than you will on, let's say, people who buy Adobe's services or Apple's services. So be really careful with any industry that has to do with people gathering. And
2: so with some of these positive headlines, negative headlines, things that come about, you and I have talked many times before, Krista, about how people should approach the headlines as far as making decisions and whatnot, how should they interpret these headlines and and examine them before making a decision?
5: Um, Headlines, first of all, they're written to to scare you. They're written to catch your attention so that you read the article. And if they make it a happy headline, you're less likely to pay attention than if they make it a scary headline. So almost any time you're reading an investment article, you're likely to see a headline that's way scarier than the actual facts. And that's very true during earnings season. There could be nine great numbers and one poor number in an earnings report and they will always put the poor number into the headline. Um, I'm not sure uh, what else to tell you, Jimmy, other than maybe people should just turn off the TV um, I've noticed that the people who were the most scared, for example, during the coronavirus were the people who watch TV all the time. And I have a, a lot of friends, including myself, who don't watch TV ever, and none of us were scared at all. And I don't even own a mask. So uh, turning off the TV might be a good idea.
2: Huh, okay. So a final question for you, Krista Huff, and I appreciate your time today. Again, Chief Analyst the Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor, actually two Two final questions. The first one is, if there are any particular stocks that have been catching your attention right now that might provide some opportunities. And, and as I say, always when we talk about stocks is when we talk with an expert like Krista or coming up, Woody Vincent, is that these are starting points for investigation, talk to your financial advisor, so on and so forth. But with that sort of disclaimer out there, Krista, what are a couple of companies that may present opportunities that you're noticing right now?
5: Okay. Whether you're a trader or a buy-and-hold investor, the price charts right now on Procter and Gamble and Bristol Myers are very bullish. Um, so I would, I think I bought more Bristol Myers today. Uh, those look good. A um, lot of technology stocks are fantastic long-term companies. You might want to wait a short, wait for the market correction, and then go after um, Apple, Netflix, Amazon. Adobe, NVIDIA, these are companies that are leaders in their field and people I think are going to make money, a lot of money in them over the next few years. And now the final
2: question Krista Huff, uh, I know recently you had the exciting opportunity to become a hedge fund manager, one of those evil hedge fund managers. Tell me a little bit about what's going on there, what's your new venture?
5: Okay, um, I launched a hedge fund and it took quite a few months of of all the background startup stuff with lawyers and administrators and accountants and auditors. I mean it's crazy the amount of uh, people I had to hire and then the fund launched on February 10th and it's an equity fund um, that can take advantage of both up and down markets because you know I can I can bet against stocks just as easily as I can bet for them uh, but it's not doing anything weird like um, foreign stocks or commodities or currencies or whatnot. It's just an equity fund. And um, the principal is up over 20% so far since February 10th. And I'm greatly enjoying it. And uh, I'll go more public with it in the future.
2: All right. Well, best of luck to you. Uh, By the way, is there a place people can go to get more information about your venture or about hedge funds in general?
5: Um, If they want to know about... My new fund, it's best to send me a private message on any of the social medias, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, but make sure it's a private message, not a public message. I appreciate that. Thank you.
2: At Krista Huff on Twitter. We can throw up Krista and her lower third real quick so you can see it one more time, what she's got there. Nathan Matusch, if you could please. There you go. That's the the uh, Twitter Twitter right there. Christa Hoff, Chief Analyst, the Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor. Thanks so much as always.
5: Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. Have a great day.
2: You as well. Once again, Christoph Chief Analyst, Cabot Undervalued Stocks Advisor joining us giving her insights on the markets. Sounding, you know, there was a long period of time where she was a very bullish person and now a little bit more of the bearish side coming out as we see the market dynamics provide additional challenges. We're not out of the heady waters yet, that's for sure. Not quite out of them. In a moment, we will pick up our conversation and talk with Woody Vinson, who of course is a former veteran is still a stock trader, veteran stock trader, and more. I'll give the full introduction here in just a moment here on Jimmy at the crossroads. But it is it is striking to think about what's happening in terms of the stock market and the various dynamics that are at play. Uh, For example, if we look right now at the markets, if we look at the markets, I'm seeing here that uh, the Dow and the S&P as of this live broadcast are both in the red a little bit, they are declining somewhat, but The NASDAQ is still up. Now, the NASDAQ is more tech-heavy, and so that needs to be kept into perspective. Now, we were wanting to have both of our guests on together. Sometimes technology gets in the way. But I am pleased now to welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger experience here on Jimmy at the Crossroads... Bringing the engaging, intelligent talk, Sang style. I am so pleased to welcome now our next stock market guru... He has for decades been a veteran stock trader. He, like me, is the former host of a radio program called Business for Breakfast, although our Business for Breakfast programs were a little different from each other in terms of how we approach things, but that's the fun thing about radio. And then also he's the author of the book What's in a Name, which you can get on Amazon. Woody Vincent rejoins us here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Woody, sir, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Jimmy. Well, I should have some uh, stage makeup on. You look good. I don't I look <laughs> like you. I stepped out of the gray. I don't have
2: any makeup on. It's the lighting. The lighting does nice. all the difference here. Oh, That's what's nice. going on. Nice.
1: I'll have to do the same.
2: I've got the cool backdrop as well. So yeah. All right. So Woody, did you listen to some of what Krista had to say?
1: I did. It was kind of spotty. I don't know if it was at my end or your end, but it was a little spotty. But, and and I agreed with everything she said. I was going to tell you, you could you could basically just uh, put my face up and run her. Her segment again so you're pretty bearish too, then? I am. I, you know, I mean, uh, the the stock market has a way of taking back what it gives you, and if you know, from the bottom, even if you had just ridden it all the way down to the bottom, you probably made pretty good money. You're probably pretty close to even. I know my retirement accounts. So I'm actually at a, at a record high. So what does that tell me? And my trading accounts. So I'm, you know. Basically, about flat. Well, whenever the market gives you a second chance like that, take it. So that—that's my opinion.
2: <laughs> well, I think I think your retirement accounts maybe were a little better prepared for the bear market than the the trading accounts were. What what might you attribute that to? Have you have you done an assessment to sort of look at how the one was able to weather the storm a little bit more than the other? Not to get too personal here, but
1: well, you know, actually, I, I just look at them as. Uh, <clears throat> As different p- pools of money, and I, I was in the right stocks on the uh, on the uh, retirement account, and I was in the uh, the wrong stocks on the uh, on the trading account. I mean, I, I kind of treat them the same. I don't I don't really trade that much. I, I trade, you know, you get three or four opportunities in the course of the year to really put money to work, and then get it back off the table 90 days later. That's kind of the nature of it. You have a couple of big pullbacks. And uh, I, I actually uh, I, I had a couple of stocks that were just pure lemons that I owned. Uh, one was a, a, a Chinese kind of uh, Amazon.com stock, and it was just uh, I just didn't think it could keep going down. I should that was just dumb on my part, but so I lost money there. If it hadn't been for that one big catastrophe, I'd actually be in fine shape there. But uh, every now and then one one stock will kill you, and I was I was too dumb to uh, to not to sell it.
2: Sure. Well, Woody, Vincent, so in terms of the economy right now, I'm I'm of the mold that we're seeing improvements finally, that things are reopening. That's a good sign that we had 2.5 million jobs created last month, according to the Labor Department, versus 8.3 million jobs or so that were anticipated to be lost. However, at the same time, that doesn't mean that the economy is roaring back, that it as President Trump put it is is rising already like a rocket ship there are still some muddy and difficult waters ahead but I think it's an encouraging sign that reopening was the key to get things at least starting to be in a positive direction as opposed to some of the naysayers to the point where we're saying our reopening is not going to do just about anything to actually get the economy rolling again, hence the expectations for nearly 10 million jobs lost versus nearly 3 million jobs gained, even though, again, caveat, the job gains are not necessarily the best jobs, the most exciting jobs, but still people are getting back to work nonetheless. What's your sense for where the economy is at, Woody?
1: Well, the good news is the Titanic can only go down to the bottom of the ocean. It can't get any lower than that. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that we got the two and a half million. That was that was better. And as usual, the uh, government predictors uh, were were wrong. But uh, you know, two and a half million, two and a half million down, thirty eight million to go. Then we're back. uh, We're back in business. I think that we're really going to have a long, long struggle. I think that that's why. And I'm pretty sure this is what Krista was saying. The market has really overdone itself. The market is anticipating a bigger rebound. Then it's gonna get. So you have a V-shaped recovery in the market. You're not gonna get a V-shaped recovery in the economy. You're gonna get an L-shape at best, and then the market will probably come back down and reflect that, that's my guess. And
2: yeah, Mohammed el Arian on Sunday, Fox News Sunday, he was saying he expects sort of a check mark, a check mark for the recovery as opposed to a V-shaped recovery, which is a little bit like an L-shape. It's an L-shaped on a slant.
1: Well, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you know, he's a yeah. I, I agree. We're we're just not gonna. It's gonna it's gonna plateau and it's gonna plateau well below where it was. You know, you just can't you can't light a, a wet log, and that's one of the problems you have. And even though a lot of the jobs that were lost are service sector economy, small restaurants and this kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be very. You know, there's a lot of uh, ripple effect on even even those businesses. Uh, you, uh, you know, all the people that sell tablecloths or or, the, or clean uniforms or, uh, you know, new dish replacements and all this kind of stuff or whatever they sell at restaurants. Those people, those suppliers are going to have a lot of trouble, and uh, and you're going to see that ripple effect all the way through the economy, not just in restaurants, but in in small little shops here and there. When they close down, their people don't have anything to buy, and and. Where they were getting their paper towels or whatever they were getting, they're just going to have problem, and that is going to that is going to be a lingering problem for the market for quite a while.
2: However, one of the things that, and I made this contention yesterday in my opening monologue here on Jimmy at the Crossroads, Woody Vincent, my view is that the number one thing we need to see from government is to get out of the way. That this job market increase or improvement of two and a half million, instead of eight eight and a half lost uh, million lost is because more than anything the government started getting out of the way and allowing businesses to reopen I think that's the number one thing as opposed to government taking all sorts of grandiose actions and putting in this policy and that policy is we need the government to finally start letting businesses get back to action and clearly there isn't as much concern about the coronavirus anymore if you're judging from how people are handling some of these protests and the media is covering it and the reactions, even the scientists and what have you. I mean, I'm, I'm over that. I'm ready for the reopening to just – it's going to take time. Of course, it's not going to be a quick process, but I'm ready for the government to just get the heck out of the way.
1: Well, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, one way to get rid of the virus in your, uh, in your shop is to burn it down. So uh, way to go. Uh, But, uh, yeah, you know, first of all, this whole corona thing, they have gotten this so wrong. Uh, And now the the World Health Organization is saying you you probably can't even get it from somebody who is asymptomatic. Although, actually,
2: they're saying that they're they're correcting themselves and saying the data is mixed. We're not sure about that. I mean, but you can't believe the World Health Organization anyway.
1: No, uh, that's my point. I mean, first of all, we're going to have... This was going to be 1918 all over again. Nobody seemed to bother to realize that in 1918, nobody had any penicillin, and people actually died of, of pneumonia for the most mm-hmm. part. So a lot of those things, you know, they've taken HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, off the market because uh, President Trump suggested. I mean, you know, it's just brainless if you ask me. But nonetheless, now a lot of people are still scared. and And what business... You know, this is the problem that you get into. This is what Keynes talked about, is reigniting the animal spirits. What business is actually going to hire new people uh, on a a hope and a wish? That's just not going to happen. They have to actually see more people coming into their business and clearing out the shelves until you see demand back in the economy. What business is actually going to hire? You have that problem. Then you have some businesses where, you know, the being on welfare, being on the government assistance, actually pays more than the job they left. So I think it's a mess. But I I would agree with you, yes, that the government has to get out of the way. And uh, they should start letting people.
3: Here's here's how
1: you get people to go back into stores. Or or to encourage the stores, give give businesses, small businesses or large businesses, give them some kind of legal immunity if you, get, if you get the cold or get the virus at, at your company, you can't sue me. And then I can open my doors yeah. and put a sign on the door say, you know, enter at your own risk. A lot of people, I'm, I've been to two or three restaurants since they kind of reopened here in Colorado, and I enjoy it. I was dying. I I thought if I had to eat one more home-cooked meal, I might just kill <laughs> myself.
2: Well, okay, let me let me jump in, because you said a lot there, and there's a lot I want to get into from what you pointed out woody vince and again veteran stock trader our guest here on the show uh, so first of all when it comes to the uh, the idea of demand i mean look the number one reason why businesses haven't hired employees i don't think is because there's a lack of demand there's been a lack of demand i think it's because those businesses were told you had to shut your doors and if the businesses can start coming back even slowly Then that will give an opportunity for consumers to get out there, and yes, they can start spending, but also businesses, especially if you get investment going more, businesses will then be able to hire so people have money in their pockets so then they can go start spending. It all comes back, and Mark Cuban and I had this debate, it all comes back first to investment even more than to the demand side of the equation. So that's one point that I would make is that we need to allow businesses to reopen and do it in a way that that encourages investment in those enterprises. But also, to your point about immunity, and we talked about this in, in terms of uh, the, the liability protection, that's that's what you're getting at. We talked about that last week with, yeah. um, uh, with Alfredo Ortiz from Job Creators Network. I think that's critical. Now, that doesn't mean for everything and every reason, but by and large, providing some kind of liability protection for these companies, particularly on a state-by-state basis because it's more of a state – Thing than a federal pr- type of program uh, is, is very smart and and necessary in order to help businesses feel confident that they can go back and then their customers can start coming back feeling more comfortable over time. I feel more comfortable the more places I go back to.
1: Anyway, what do oh, you say? Oh, I do too. You know, I, I mean, I've been out and about this whole thing. I, I'm like a, you know, the Me customer too. of the year at Home Depot <laughs> <laughs> because I'm finishing my basement and I'm there all the time. and. I don't seem to be getting sick, and I'm at the ad, I'm in the at-risk group. I'm seventy, you know, and I'm not all that worried about it. You know, you need to get people out and about, mingling, and uh, to develop herd immunity. That that is what you know. The human the human body is a real miracle of nature, and herd immunity is one of the things that will that will take care of a lot of this problem. And the young people should get out and mingle with each other they'll develop the herd immunity and then they can have, i think we're then there grandpa i, I
2: think we're, we're pretty much at herd immunity now woody which might be why we are now seeing so many fewer cases showing up of coronavirus and especially deaths i mean we have really been seeing the number precipitously down on a weekly basis which is very encouraging and that's happening even despite all the protests and whatnot that we've been having. That should theoretically be spreading the virus more, especially by asymptomatic carriers.
1: Yeah, you know, I hate to be cynical, but you know, they pay uh, they pay the hospitals more if they you know, label it as uh, coronavirus. And I was wondering if they were to change that and pay them less as coronavirus, if we'd find out that a heck of a lot of people are actually dying from other things. I don't trust the numbers. I, I just don't. So
2: well there is a lot of reason to, to show distrust, especially when the C D C Centers for Disease Control has been requiring that you send more than just COVID deaths due to COVID, but also deaths from people by people who had COVID-19. But Woody Vincent, let's go to the, to the whole notion of bringing back the economy and what the stock market's doing. I and mean, we have seen the market rise over the last several days, although today we're seeing a decline in the S&P 500 and in the Dow Jones Industrial Average with the Nasdaq slightly up and it hit a record high yesterday. What are you thinking is going on in the stock market right now from your decades of experience, Woody Vincent?
1: Well, I, I think, honestly, a lot of it is uh, dumb speculation on the part of the public. They think that the uh, coast is clear. And I think then uh, another large part of it is short covering for people who really thought this thing was just- What does dirty. that
2: mean, short covering? What does
1: that mean? Uh, people who have borrowed stock and have to return it. And as the market rallies, they're going to have to return it at a higher price than they paid for it. And people can really get panicked into buying a stock. Let me give you just one example. Mm-hmm. Chesapeake Energy. So, and you know now you've seen oil go from negative negative thirty seven dollars to thirty seven dollars positive on West Texas Intermediate so uh, now oil has never been that volatile it's always volatile they don't call it the widow maker for nothing but it's just insane so at any rate yesterday somebody paid almost seventy dollars a share for Chesapeake this was a thinly uh, this, this was a, a much shorted stock it was hard to borrow and that was a classic short squeeze it's down today it was down about forty dollars so somebody bought it at seventy yesterday and if they stayed on if they held on to it they're stuck with it at thirty bucks they're getting killed it just tells you that you really shouldn't chase stocks and you shouldn't chase the market Uh, as krista said you know markets go up and down it's been my experience over the many years that uh, when the market gives you a chance to get out, get out. It's going to give you a second bite of the apple. I guarantee you that. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at, let's take a look at the Dow. Uh, the Dow uh, is at about, uh, let me just see here, 27, 27.4. I can't read with that. Hang Somewhere on, Jimmy, gonna, Yeah, that's fine. You're going to have to give a little, yeah, 27.4. Okay. It's got natural support, a lot of base, Base support at about 24,000. So that's 3,000 points that the Dow could drop. That's about 10%, a little more than 10%. That would not be a nightmare. The NASDAQ's at an all time high, and uh, a lot of the NASDAQ is, you know, little energy drillers. And uh, I think that uh, I don't think that we're out of the woods by any means in what's happening to oil, even at 37 bucks. The uh, the frackers can't really still make money. They got to head a lot closer to forty, so sure. they probably won't go into default. That saves the banks that will lend them money. I mean, there's <laughs> all sorts of a lot of positive at thir- thirty-seven bucks, but I don't think we're out of the woods. I think right. that you can see oil go back Sh- to twenty again. So uh, so I'll get back to oil in just a moment. But I want to
2: clarify a couple of terms just for some viewers and listeners who may be unfamiliar with some of the stock terminology. When you say short a stock and chasing a stock, what do those terms mean?
1: Well, shorting a stock i didn't hear the second word chasing said, a stock the, to chase a chasing stock. a stock yeah well uh shorting a stock when you when you sell a stock short that is the sale of borrowed stock you borrow stock from somebody let's say that it's uh xyz corporation and you borrow it and you immediately sell it so let's say you borrow it at fifty dollars a share uh you you are not obligated to give any, you're obligated to return that stock. So, it's uh, and it's bizarre that it's actually even legal, but it's very legal. You're obligated to return the stock. So if you sell it at 50, and then you can, uh, it goes down to 40, you can buy it back, that's called covering, and you get to pocket the $10. Now, if it goes up to 60, you're losing $10. Mm it's kind of like and what's amazing about it i always think kind of from an ethical standpoint is it's like if you borrow your neighbor's car and then trash it all you have to do is give it back to him, and you can give it back to them after you've trashed it so that's what that's what selling short is is okay. the sale of, of sale of borrowed stock is what it technically is and mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is it's just the regular buy low, sell high in reverse. You're selling high and then buying low. That's all it really is. Okay. And chasing uh, stock. Okay, chasing stock is a stock that's gotten too far, gone up too far too fast. You've got to realize that when a stock goes up too far too fast, it's got a lot of profit in it for somebody. And if you're the last guy in, you're going to get killed. So you don't need to chase them. They always come back down to earth. They, the, the, If you just buy stocks that when they when they come back to their trend line and a trend line is where you just draw a line on the lows of the stock, you know, stock goes, let me get my hand up here, you know, goes up and then comes down and goes up and comes down. comes down. If you connect all those low points, that's your trend line. So buy it at the trend line. And then if it, if it breaks below that trend line, you're not going to lose much. But if you buy it at the top of that trend line, you're going to wish you hadn't. Hmm. Learning some basic stock terminology
2: today here on Jimmy at the Cross. So just a couple minutes left with you, Woody Vince. Let's go back to energy. I mean, obviously, this was a very difficult, precarious industry for the past few months, particularly because people were not driving, people were not flying. Now it's slowly coming back in that regard. Yes. What do you think is the, sort of the lay of the land? How do you expect energy to proceed?
1: Uh, I think that uh, energy is is vulnerable to a, a good sized pullback because you know, the Russians and the Saudis would like to put our fracking business out of business. They would like to do that. It's a little bit like playing chicken. How long they can hold off and not make money for themselves, uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, the Saudis can pump oil for almost nothing. The U.S. frackers need about $40. bucks. they are close to that now, but here again, I think that they're, that they're seeing as good as it gets for a while. You know, you never know. Maybe, I'll, maybe everybody would just go tank up this afternoon and uh, start driving like crazy, driving around in circles, but I don't think that's going to happen. And so, I, so I'd be very, very leery about oil. I looked at all the oil companies, and they've had a, just a tremendous run. I mean, I had a nice run in Transoceanic, RIG is the ticker, and I sold it. I sold it too soon, but uh, what the heck, you know. Uh, and, and now I think a lot of those stocks are going to come back to earth. I think it's still very dangerous ground to be investing in those stocks right now.
2: Woody Vincent? Final question for you. You've mentioned a few different companies. Where were you seeing? Where are you seeing opportunities in terms of industries, so economic sectors, and maybe individual stocks—just two or three?
1: I—I'll uh, tell you. There's a—the only things that I really like are or stocks that I own. Uh, I can tell you this. I have a little stock called Soliton. S-O-L-I-T-O-N. They—they uh, they put a—they uh, put a pulse into your. Uh, onto your skin, and they can remove tattoos with it, and they think that they may be able to re- uh, remove uh, cellulite. If the cellulite takes off, that's going to be a big winner for them. Nobody likes cellulite. I think some people are addicted to tattoos. I don't know about that. Uh, and then uh, another company, let's see what I actually do like. I don't have that much stuff that I really like, Jimmy, but another one called PULM, which is, uh, let me get the Paul Matrix. Uh, they uh, they deal with respiratory diseases. Stock has been uh, has been rallying nicely, and I think it's got a nice uptrend. P U L M is the ticker. It's a uh, it's a okay. penny stock. It's a dollar sixty, so you can buy a little and take a chance with uh, so some mad money. How
2: about a sector? Any sector that you think might hold some potential in the coming months?
1: Uh, you know I haven't even thought it through that, <laughs> that far because I mostly trade individual stocks. Uh, I don't like really anything. I mean, I don't really okay. like anything now because if if you've got a stock that hasn't rallied, then uh, don't buy it now. It's no good. That's why it hadn't rallied, and everything else has rallied. So I would say cash is the out. position that I like.
2: So people probably missed out. If you've seen a stock that's rallied, you missed out on that opportunity at least in the in the immediate sphere. It's probably. It seems you and Krista Huff are both arguing probably that a lot of these stocks are going to go down again, so there should be another opportunity coming up in the near term.
1: Yeah, keep your powder dry and have some money ready when, those, when you see another pullback.
2: So that's encouraging, but I have to say that usually I could at least go to Krista Huff and get sort of a, a more bullish attitude, especially during trade when I was saying, oh, the market this and that. Now both of you have gone uh, sort of bearish on me. I don't just need to look to good friend Mark D. Cook to be the bear. Everybody's bearish right now, it seems.
3: Not everybody, but a lot of people do. That's true. Yeah, it might be hard to get him these days. These
2: days it might be hard to get uh, Larry Kudlow on the program. There are a few bulls out there.
1: All right, Woody
2: Vincent, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time, as always, my friend.
1: Thank, thank you. You're welcome.
2: Thank you once again, Woody Vincent, veteran stock trader for past thirty years or so, joining us here on Jimmy at the Crossroads. Uh, just you never know where these discussions are going to go. We couldn't get Krista and. Woody together, so we did them separate and made for interesting, separate conversations, but some individual themes that connect between the two. I guess I'm a little more bullish than they are, at least in terms of the economy. Maybe not the stock market. They're the gurus of the stock market. Um, But in terms of the economy, I am still encouraged by not thinking things are you know, just going to go up and up and up and up, but at least we've got some real encouraging signs to be sure. All right, that is it for us today. Thanks for bearing with us through some of the technical issues and more. My thanks to Nathan Matouche, producer extraordinaire, working the Matouche magic. The Washington Examiner, of course, our partners. You for watching and listening. Be sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy at the Crossroads. By the way, this Thursday, Fahad Nazar will rejoin us on the show. He's the spokesperson for the Saudi Arabian Embassy to be interesting conversation now. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Have a great one. God bless America.